Hi everyone, welcome back to the DC Comics News Podcast, and here we are with episode 33, all the threes, bingo! And with me today, I have, as always, the rest of the Fantastic Four, starting with Mr. Brad Felicki. Hi Brad! Hello, how's everyone? So solid, Seth Singleton. (laughs) Hello everyone. Great to be with you as always. And Special K, Kelly Gang. Hello, everyone. And have we got news for you today? Have we? I think we do. And we start off with the movie news. Who doesn't love the movies? First of all, Todd Phillips, he of Joker movie fame, we hope, has said that he initially pitched the Joker movie as part of a new film division, like its own separate universe. And looking at the article, um, Black Label before the Black Label, but Black Label now came first because of the books. But what's everyone feeling about this news? And is this something that DC can definitely do better than Marvel rather than a shared universe? Lots of different universes. I think this sounds intriguing. How about you, Brad? How do you feel about this? I am not one for conspiracy theories, but part of me, like you mentioned the black label, part of me thought, well, maybe he pitched that idea and it got back to DC and I thought, well, instead of movies, let's do it. Instead of calling it DC Black, we'll call it Black Label and the rest is history. And maybe they thought, well, if if the Joker is successful as we think it's going to be, then we can kind of cross market the idea of DC black with the black label. So it seems like a win-win on DC's part. And I love the idea of kind of a separate entity, like a new, more grounded type of stories in these movies as what the Joker appears to be that it's going to be. So I would, I would be, I'd be down for whatever they would want to get the uh, DC black Satana movie, you know? So yeah, I think it's a, it's a cool concept and we'll see what happens. It was kind of jumbled. <laughs> uh, Seth, no, that think? makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, keep in mind, Brad, that, you know, remember who you're speaking to. The rest of us are fully aware that we sound just as jumbled (laughs) and that my own words come out in any sort of semblance of order. is just some sort of miracle. I can't explain it. We just get lucky sometimes. But uh, regarding this story, I mean, I, I love the idea of saying, you know, let's set a tone. Let's let this movie be the way that we sort of establish the first note in this song that's going to be this universe that we could offer up to everyone. And the idea of one, let's let this be the first. And then two, let's get great filmmakers to mildly adapt what was originally quoted. And in doing that, let's strip everything away. Let's be liberating. And I think you had a great idea with Black Label Zatanna. I think you would have this great opportunity to explore so many of the darker corners and maybe even eventually cast this as one of the you know versions of a verse you know some sort of untold multiverse story and man the possibilities just from establishing a universe and a world of story based on the joker could really just give dc this fresh breath of hey we're more than just the superheroes you think we are take a look we've got a lot more to show you kelly what do you think i really liked everything he said especially in the sense that he said he doesn't want to use as much cgi i you know and cgi has been a really great thing for the superhero genre as a whole i I think but it also kind of takes away from the need to build movies based on do you have really good actors and a really good story and can you still 
if you were to take out all of the special effects, still blow the audience away. So I love that he wanted to do that. I mean, I think all of his ideas are really solid. And if they try to do, you know, make their own sort of pattern instead of following just what Marvel has done, it would definitely get them off of, you know, the slump that they fell into when they did Justice League, because that just felt so much like, uh, well, they're doing Avengers, so here's our version. And if they were to actually go with this idea, then they'd be building their own thing, which I think is is definitely what they should be aiming for at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Why limit yourselves to have to share one universe and make life difficult in a way because you've got all the continuity issues and everything else that goes with it. So while it was a, a lovely idea while it lasted, they did rush into it and push things the wrong way. This multiverse idea, like you said, Seth, is is fascinating. And there's so many ways it can go. I mean, the, the DC multiverse is the original multiverse, let's face it. And if you add in ideas like Elseworlds and Black Label, and Vertigo and the the horror side of the DC universe. There's so much potential for great storytelling. And like you said, Kelly, in the article, he states that, you know, let's get the best filmmakers to make these films. And we've got uh, uh, Scorsese as an executive producer for one at one point in time. Could you imagine a, a DC movie directed by a Scorsese or by a, a James Cameron or a Quentin Tarantino, oh, the yes, way yeah. they could go, exactly. Or uh, my personal favorite, if we could get Guillermo del Toro to make oh, yeah. a DC movie like, like he did with Shape of Water, you know, it's just so, so many great ways and great films that could be made, which yeah. is exciting. It's a lot more creative. Yeah, and I, I and I think that the DC characters, I think it's more in the lore to have multiverses. I, you know, with it's, Marvel, I don't think you really got a lot of multiverse stuff until Spider-Man, really. So I think that as far as the DC or Marvel thing, I think that DC, I, I think fans would meld with that idea better than with Marvel, with DC, because the multiverse is kind of an already tried and true concept in DC. Yes, it was the first multiverse i mean the multiverse didn't really come into marvel until uh, alan moore uh, brought it in with 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 captain britain and we found out that that, that marvel earth is earth 616 dc have been doing it since the 50s since uh, flash of two earths so so many ways to go and the joker would be a perfect start because they've already said don't expect a comic book movie this is not a comic book movie don't expect cgi and superheroes and bulging muscles this is a story <laughs> of a man who basically goes crazy and that just excites me it's just more creative so from one film to another storm reed is being hired to play idris elba's daughter in the james gunn suicide squad movie and uh, hard to get excited i think because we don't know who idris elba is but the fact he's got a daughter does point to me at least back to deadshot so uh brad what do you think of this news yeah, I got a little death shot, death shot flashbacks, too. Um, so that's, yeah, that is interesting. Uh, Storm Reed is a pretty good actress. Uh, I, I don't know if any of you guys have watched Euphoria yet on HBO, uh, but she has a part in that. Uh, she plays Zendaya's character's sister, and she's really good in that. So as far as that goes, uh, I'd be interested in see what she would, would bring to the movie. But, uh, Steve, you bring up an interesting point as far as the dead shot thing. Uh, what about you, Seth? Well, I immediately went to Deadshot as well. That was just the first thing. I immediately just saw a recasting of that character and the Will Smith relationship with the daughter that will now be establishing between Idris Elba 
and uh, Storm Reed. So that was my my first just initial. Okay, well that's that's how they're gonna do it, right? And then I tried to pause for a minute, not just go with my immediate expectation and cast about for other, you know, characters that this sort of relationship was something that I would expect. And I just, I haven't found it yet. So if somebody finds one and can clue me in on just one other option that might exist, I'd be willing to at least, you know, okay, let's, let's consider that as well. But right now, the, the first thing that came to mind was, okay, so this is going to be, this is going to be Deadshot. Um, in regards to seeing anything that Stormweed has done, I have not seen Euphoria. I've heard about it. I know my wife, I think, you know, watched an episode or two and just said, wow, those kids are, man, I do not want to be a high school student right now. <laughs> and that was about the only thing I've heard about it. And I never saw 13 Reasons, one or two, like, that's just not a, a an area. I talked for a little while and it was rough enough just teaching kids. So going back and trying to be one or, yeah, no. Um, so I'm just curious to see an actor who I haven't had a chance to see, to see where this fits in, if it goes with my I feel like it's more assumptions and expectations because I'm thinking I'm just not being creative enough and thinking about who else this casting could mean for a character for Idris Elba to play. But Kelly, what did you think about this? I mean, I sadly, I have not seen her in anything either. And I have not been able to piece together, you know, who Idris Elba might actually be playing. I mean, at, le- at the very least, we know that if they're casting a daughter, it, it's an indication that his character is going to have some complexity and some kind of a, you know, more intense backstory. Typically, when they get kids involved, there's some kind of crazy backstory. But yeah, I haven't been able to piece that together. Although, I do, I recognize her face, but I have not seen her in, um, you know, unfortunately, in any of the previous projects she's done. But then I tend to prefer to enjoy coming to movies that I haven't really seen the main actors very much. Um, You know, I think it gives me a chance to define the role by the role itself as opposed to, oh, this is so-and-so playing this character. So, I mean, I'm I'm still excited, still pumped to see who it is, but that is definitely a mystery I have not been able to piece together yet. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, because I must be old school or something. I should really learn how to use this interweb net thing and google characters i just picked up all my old uh justice league task force comics and everything that bronze tiger was in to see if he had a daughter and i came up a blank because i still really would love to see elba play bronze tiger but everything is is pointing to him actually taking over his dead shot even though everyone said he he's not unless they create a, a, a new character or link a character to a daughter he's never had in the comics just to give them a bit more depth and something to fight for which is not unheard of they're forever changing things in the movies we're gonna get a female rat catcher and that's cool enough for me so maybe she's just a brand new character and for all intents and purposes it seems she's a very talented actor and that's my main go-to point that they the dc movies have cast so far everyone spectacularly well so if they're bringing her on board they're seeing something in her they bring her on board for a reason. So I, I can live with that. Yeah. That's all I need to know. Fair. And Suicide Squad News is is definitely high on the agenda because it seems that uh, another James Gunn friend, co-collaborator, Henry Brayens joining the squad as cinematographer. He's already bringing in a few of his uh, Guardians of the Galaxy cohorts to the Suicide Squad project. But that just shows, like we've said many weeks in a row, that 
this is a guy who inspires loyalty with everyone who works with him and they want to work with him again. So this can only be a good thing, right? What do you think, Brad? Uh, it's a good thing. I just, I just hope that, you know, that it doesn't feel like, you know, he's getting the band back together. All these people he's worked with for the Guardians movies. I hope it just doesn't feel like the DC version of Guardians, you know, kind of looks and has that same feel. So I hope that they go out of their way to make it feel like a different kind of movie. Um, That's a very good point. You know, uh, but I I do have faith that they can do it because I, I, I love Guardians and I don't see why they couldn't expand from that palette a bit so you know i'm hopefully optimistic seth what do you think well i like the idea of you know bringing on someone that you have a working relationship with one you've experienced success with and one who can execute your vision and i sort of feel like that's oftentimes what you're going to get from a cinematographer it's an interesting thing because uh, i loved how i think it was recently the academies were talking about how up until maybe 15, 20 years ago, the cinematographer wasn't a highly regarded role. You know, it wasn't something that was given a lot of prominence, but there's been a change in that. Um, I want to say Ridley Scott uh, is is a name, but it, that's not, that's a director. Yes, you're absolutely correct. Am I no, correct? He, he's worked with the best cinematographers. You're absolutely correct. Blade Runner would not be the film it was, neither would Alien, without a fantastic cinematographer. So spot on, set. Get on, get on mm. the money. Cheers. Uh, thank you. And and that was really just sort of the thing that I was thinking about is, you know, with that with that relationship, hopefully we can avoid bringing the Guardians of the Galaxy tone over. But by having a cinematographer you've already worked on, you can say, OK, just like a great restaurant that's established its name on this certain kind of dish. If we want to say that we can do more, we we have to cross off everything we've done over here and cast it in a new light over here. We can use some of our favorite elements, but we we have to change that tone. And you know what I've done, and you know what I don't want to do. How can we do this? And I think there's a great opportunity available there. And if they take full advantage of that opportunity, we could get a real gift, which is to see what happens when a director and cinematographer who have that great relationship can move from project to project and capture the tone of the project instead of trying to put their tone on the project, um, which is something that we've seen not work so well in DC projects in the past. Kelly, what was your take on this? That's, that's actually a really good point that it should be, you know, not so much them carrying a tone over from one project to another, but it should be the that that specific talented cinematographer is going to try to make another impressive film. So my hope would be that, yeah, that that works out for them and that they take the tone of Suicide Squad in the way that we know Suicide Squad and kind of apply that same sort of talent and drive to it i mean i i'm still determined and almost stubbornly hopeful about this movie there is no part of me that's willing to accept that there are going to be two bad suicide squad movies i just i i personally can't handle that so (laughs) i i mean we'll see i'm fingers crossed in every way but i do like that um you know that james gunn seems to have these people who are like, you know, I will work with him. I will do the project that he wants to do and, you know, hope for the best. If he can bring in talented filmmakers, then that is the most important thing. So fingers crossed, I literally, my my heart and soul cannot take another bad Suicide Squad movie. So they have to do well at this or I will be dead, most likely, internally at least. And Kelly's and would not to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it has to happen. To me, a good movie is like an orchestra. 
And it's the same with the, the role of director. A director in an orchestra, the most famous ones are literally the ones who can get the best out of every player and every instrument. And with James Gunn, it seems like he's pulling together the orchestra he needs and he wants to deliver the best film he possibly can. And like I say, you, you direct that orchestra to hit the high notes, to hit the low notes, to, to take the tune in the direction you'd like it to go in. Whatever else may be said about the man, it seems that he knows how to get that tune and to play the notes he wanted to play, be it literally in, in terms of his soundtracks, because what two movies have had better soundtracks than Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2? If he's getting the band to play the, from the same hymn sheet, boy, it should be good. Yeah, I, I like what you said, though, as well, Brad. We don't want it to be got into the galaxy dc remix we want this to be a brand new film we want it to be a suicide squad movie not another guardians he's a good director and he's getting the right people with him and the cast so far whoever's been definitely approved or not it's going in the right direction so kelly we'll get a few more years out of you yet i hope <laughs> i may live <laughs> I, I, I really, really hope so because we, we need the Fab Four forever. <laughs> it, it all depends on this movie, apparently. <laughs> James Gunn, are you listening? We want Kelly alive, so you've got a hell of a lot of responsibilities on your shoulders. If we lose one of our writers, it's on you. I have student loans to pay. I can't die yet. <laughs> well, you know, you know, you're gonna fake your death and bye bye loan. You know? There's always you know that. Yeah, so nobody heard me say there. that we're going to fake it, right? Nobody yeah, heard that. That didn't happen. <laughs> hide somewhere with your purse book, wear a nice <laughs> pair of jeans, and you're sorted. Everything exactly. is fixed. See you guys in 2035. <laughs> there you go. So on that note, um, I'm going to go pick up my purse book while we take a little break and we get a word from our sponsors. We'll be back. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And welcome back to episode 33 of the DC Comics News Podcast. So we talked movies. We talked the silver screen. And now we're going to go talk about the little bitty screen that lives in the corner of everyone's living room. TV and streaming news. And first of all, we're going to go to the Greg Berlanti Arrowverse. And we see that Olivia Swan, Astra, poor old Astra, John Constantine's failure, is getting up to a series regular in the next season of Legends of Tomorrow, which will uh, come back during the mid-season break from the other shows in early 2020. Brad, what do you think about Astra um, finally catching her own star, my friend? Uh, I'm all for it because not only is she a good character, but she's tied to Constantine, which means we'll probably be getting a lot of Constantine as well. And I just love Constantine on the show. So 
that made me excited. What did you think, Seth? I thought it was great news as well. I really liked the way uh, the character was introduced, the way it was sort of this great acknowledgement of past issue that's always sort of been part of John Constantine's story. And I also liked the way that the show gave her this new direction instead of just being the victim she's now someone who has found a way to determine her own fate and in doing so has become a really interesting character because of that deserves not only more time to tell her story but also a chance to play a bigger role and that she wants to be the top dog which i think is a great idea getting to see her try and get what she wants and how that's going to create not only conflict with constantine but also the legends and hopefully this builds up to that sort of rumor that maybe with more and more Constantine story, we can start seeing this eventual Constantine show. Kelly, what were your thoughts? I, I mean, I'm very much for seeing more of John Constantine. He's, he's such a bizarre character in the sense that he has this brooding nature, but it doesn't cross into the kind of Batman level of brooding where it's like he's just too dark and a little bit too almost untouchable he's there's something very human about him which is bizarre because he's the one who works with you know magic and supernatural forces and all of the really weird stuff that we see in the dc universe so i'm really excited that you know that there's even a potential for him to have more of a role and then on top of that i mean of course i'm all for having you know another female character with a really good backstory and with a really good foundation so i i think it'll be great i think it's good that she's going to be on for most of season five i seriously love you three so much because you all again <laughs> like scooped my brain out with a teaspoon you, each and every one of you said something that i was thinking it's, it's brilliant seth you said you know it's a great way to look more in depth at a character who's turned out to be fascinating she could have just been another victim but she's taken being thrown into hell and made herself stronger with it that is awesome brad like you said more Matt Ryan, more John Constantine. John Constantine, where do I sign? I'm in. <laughs> Kelly, another strong, badass female character in a mainstream TV show. Who's who's going to say no to that? Tie all that together. Yeah, absolutely. It's win-win. There's, there's no... Yeah, no one can lose this. No one can lose. So, yeah, I'm really excited by that because being a fan of Constantine, being a fan of Vertigo, seeing Astra and actually seeing what it'll do to John because he was every bit as um, shocked by her turnaround as I think the audience was, right? Yeah. By Astra's turnaround. So, yeah, it's just going to make for great TV, I think. Really, really great TV. I was just thinking about this, and I, I want to get your guys' opinion on this because yeah, I think it would be perfect. What about when we've got a scene later with John and Astra? When John comes into the room, there's just a refrigerator on its side, and then the door opens and Astra climbs out. <laughs> just, just, just tossing it out there because we're talking about a character who was a victim who's turned herself into something bigger, and it just seems like the symbolism would just like slap people silly for just a second, and almost like she could have that total devilish grin that like you know what i'm doing everybody knows what i'm doing i'm not saying it but you know what i'm doing just, be just wanted to throw that out there <laughs> so cool sorry i should have said that. i did not go there i really did not go <laughs> way cool oh yeah way cool steve is punning without regard without regard <laughs> reckless punning yeah i, I should i should write for that famous british newspaper the pun 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> but sticking with the Arrowverse and everything that goes with it, I'll get right to the point. No, stop it, Steve. <laughs> Arrow is entering its final season. Wipe away a tear of sadness. They're also going to be bringing back brand new versions of both Tommy Merlin and Adrian Chase for the final season. So thoughts on saying goodbye to the one that started it all and the return of these classic characters. Brad? I, you know, it, it's kind of bittersweet in a way, you know, that the final season starting because I it's sad to see it go, but I really do think that we're in for a really good final season. And I think it's really going to they're really going to pull out the stops and tug on people's heartstrings. Kind of interested in what's going to happen this season. As sad as I am to see it go, I think it's going to be a good season. And uh, the, you know, the characters coming back, it's kind of, they, they said that they're not going to be the characters that you remember. So I'm curious if it is some kind of tied into the crossover event, the crisis on Infinite Earth crossover event that's coming up this fall so i would have a feeling that that's why they are back seth what do you think i like the idea that you just brought up about you know the their other possibilities after arrow but mostly i like the idea that there's this really creative approach to bringing them both back in different ways um i felt like the appearance of merlin um i believe it was in last season uh was a really interesting psychological perspective to use him in and um, I also feel that by doing it this way and also giving us that that sense that things will be different this time around, we'll get a chance to try and see just what it means when something should be familiar like that, something a threat, and also maybe an emotional challenge and is cast in a different light that, that not only spins Oliver's perception, but also the audience's. And then just I like the fact that this is part of this continuing growth of mystery that's been surrounding this final season. You know, there was almost an expectation that, well, there has to be only one ending to this show. And since that idea was floated, now it seems like there has been more and more possibility and so many directions that it'll be one of those at the crux of it. Who Whose life will really be in danger? What, what sort of final moment could be uh, provided at the end of it? And I, I think with all that expectation you're really gearing up the chance for viewers to experience something that goes beyond what they would automatically assume and give them something that would be hopefully much more rewarding. But I could try and speculate all day. Kelly, I'm more curious about your thoughts. So, I I mean, they are promoting this final season so well because I, you know, I I was never even that into Arrow until I started seeing all the promotion for the final season and at this point I'm just kind of like what is going to happen to Oliver because I keep hearing that he's going to die but then maybe not it might be someone else it's gonna be dark someone's gonna be dead but like even from an outside perspective it turned into I really really want to know who and I mean at this point in time I'm a little bit skeptical about final seasons of shows there's a part of me that is you know just wary of that at this point in time but I you know I'm I'm excited and I really hope that they take, you know, whatever direction they choose to go, that it's one that at the very least satisfies a show that has, you know, done great things for bringing viewers and hopefully potential readers to DC. So I'm hoping that whatever it is that they do, it ends the show on a note that the show deserves to be ended on. Yeah, who could argue with that? Absolutely. And it is the granddaddy. It's the one that started uh, the Arrowverse. It's a show that, I've on the whole loved it did 
wobble a little bit uh, around seasons three and four. I didn't think the magic really worked in the show, but the last two seasons, particularly the most recent one with Oliver and Jalen and stuff like that, have been absolutely terrific. And if they really put the effort that it looks like they are with all these trailers and promotions, like you said, Kelly, I'm really excited, um, more than sad for this last season. I'm really looking forward to it. Then it's going to go out on a high, which is what you want. The last thing anyone ever wants is to see it jump the shark. I mean, happy days. I mean, you guys are probably all too young to remember happy days, but that (laughs) show went from being miraculously amazing to, oh, my God. And Arrow's not going to go that way. They're going to have 10 solid episodes, I hope. Go out with a bang, not with a whimper. So, yeah. And the whole thing you were saying, Seth, it feels like it ties in with the Elseworlds. And remember, the crossover is a crisis on infinite Earths. We've already seen an Earth (laughs) where um, Ricardo Diaz is a cop and is uh, Malcolm Merlin. So, we could be seeing versions of Merlin and Chase that we'd never even imagined. Uh, And is it me? Am I totally wrong here? But I'm sure that in the comic books, Adrian Chase was actually vigilante, not Prometheus. So maybe we're going to see Adrian Chase as a hero. And that would be damn cool because he's still, to me, up with Manu Bennett as the best Arrow villain. I would be curious to see that because they did a lot of, you know sort of mixing of uh, origins there on universe with some of those characters, because in so many ways, you know, who you thought was the character being portrayed was actually someone else using that character to their advantage. And you really found yourself going, hold on a second. If this isn't the character from the comics, what, what does that character look like now? You know, what, what identity is being used here? It was like when they made that aside at one point at the human target, or uh, of a few other characters, and you would think to yourself, okay, so when do we get to actually see them portrayed? And maybe through this opportunity through the multiverse, we'll get this chance, right? Absolutely. Yes, indeed. And that that's exciting to me. Because look, we said it before, we're at the top of the show. Um, DC's multiverse, second to none. So let's use it. Let's <laughs> let's get all the wealth um, that we can out of, out of this treasure chest Let, let's do that so absolutely so staying with the arrowverse we briefly saw him in the previous season but that wasn't the godspeed we knew apart from the costume but apparently he's back bigger badder and faster godspeed is returning for flash season six i know seth's gonna have uh, lots to say being flash expert numero uno <laughs> on the DC Comics News podcast. But uh, Brad, what do you think about this news? Uh, I I like it. I like it because Godspeed, I didn't really have a reference from the comics as much. My kind of reference point intro to the character was from the Flash TV series. So I'm kind of glad to get more, uh, learn more about the character, uh, you know, see what the show does with the character. So to me, it's kind of a new thing. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing where they go with it. Seth, what do you think? Well, I'm curious because what we got was really just kind of a teaser, right? I mean, with the season, it was like, Godspeed, Godspeed Ghost. And it was like, wait, 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 is that it, guys? Anyone? All right. And without. He went by in a flash, didn't he, Seth? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It was just like, hold on a second. Why have you done this to us? Why, why? present this character and then move completely away from anything to do with them. Um, 
I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, the presentation. I, I know that the article points out that the costume isn't quite like the comics, but what we've, you know, come to see from so many of these characters is that they're not always the comic version that we thought they would be. They're not taking these comic characters and saying, okay, this is what was written and this is what we're using and, and that's the end all and be all. So I'm actually really intrigued because I feel like there are a lot of different directions they can take with Godspeed. You know, they can make it all about, uh, you know, someone who worked with Barry and, you know, suffered a personal tragedy as well, but with the power of speed went in a different direction. Um, it could get a little bit more interesting if they bring in ideas like Black Hole and other concepts like that from the comics, but there, there's enough wealth of information available there's enough history about this character where they could you know really sort of pick and choose and use the ones that work best for uh the current story and there is also an element of faith involved with with godspeed and right now that could be a you know an interesting thing you know steve you brought up a little while back the flash team's really struggling with the fact that you know the the loss of nora the changing of of everything that was yeah. somewhat unexpected has really left an, an emotional sort of, um, you could call it an emotional grenade, an emotional uh, aftermath, but that this isn't a team that when they come back for this next season will be who they were at the start of last or who will be, you know, able to handle maybe the challenges that Godspeed can bring given the incarnation they bring. Kelly, keep me from rambling too much further and bring a little perspective and maybe some balance to all this, would you? I, I you're you're all good stuff. I mean, I honestly, Flash is one of the shows I never really got into, but I do like the idea that they are bringing back a character that perhaps went away unsatisfied in like an unsatisfying way on the grounds that I I think in a lot of TV shows we tend to pinpoint these loose ends where it's like, oh, we saw that character and they looked like they were going to be important or they were important in, you know, in the comics or in another iteration of them. And they just showed up for a second to kind of be like, hey, quick cameo, and then they disappear. So I like the idea that if, you know, in his previous appearance, that's what happened, that they're bringing him back again. So it's not this kind of loose end for fans where it's like, oh, remember what Godspeed was in that one episode? It's, I, I, I like what they're doing. I think it seems like they're going to, you know, if anything, flush out some of those loose ends and really tie it together in a more emotional way. So I, I think it'll be, you know, a good addition to this season. Yeah. Absolutely. Even though he's a fairly new character, I mean, Godspeed only turned up in in the new 52 iteration of the Flash, but he's not just another evil speedster. What I like about this guy is he actually starts off almost trying to emulate Barry and be a hero uh, and, and his name and the faith aspect, like you said, but also the fact that he isn't just fast he can steal other speeds as speeds and that just wasn't touched on in the one episode he appeared in so if they're going to use him to his full potential then yeah absolutely he, it, it's going to be a, a nice new spin because while i enjoyed having non-speedster villains particularly um thinker he, he was a fantastic baddie yeah. um i am not going to talk about cicada no <laughs> I'm not going to talk about Cicada. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about Cicada. Well, the other thing... So, um, that... no, go, 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 please. Oh, no, I was just going to say, well, if we want to turn away from Cicada, another thing to, to look at is also the ability of Godspeed to, to clone himself. And if, yes. they, if they rely on that, then the one thing I'm sort of hoping for, and this is just a, just a you know, uh, a Hail Mary, 
is that that one appearance was actually a, a seed, you know, uh, a plant, Ooh. you know, to, to maybe, you know, reference back as this story develops. And that that could also be a way of either showing a longer plot, uh, a deeper thinking process, or that cloning element, that ability to send a different part of himself somewhere else. And I feel like if they tap into those, then that one brief appearance could actually have more presence or more emphasis than it did initially if they reference back to it the right way. And that the cloning or the ability to uh, siphon, like if he was involved in one of those ways, we could really tap into something stronger emotionally than, than we just got from that first appearance. Lovely. Flash TV writers, Joshua Williamson, if you're listening, Seth is available and his rates are really good. And if you're looking for comic book writers, all four of us are beautiful and talented. <laughs> I'm here. Come find me. Yeah. Let's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so um, moving on to big, big, big news and happy news as far as I'm concerned. Warner Media have given a name to their service and it will not be competing with or changing the DC Universe service. This makes me happy. Brad, what do you feel about HBO Max? Well, I think overall they're going to have a lot of good content. Uh, as far as the, you know, the DC thing, I'm, I'm torn because part of me is like, well, that's great because I love the fact that DC and Warners, they believe in the streaming service enough that they're not just going to fold it in or, you know, completely get rid of it because there was a lot of rumors, facts or whatever, that it was kind of struggling. Um, so I don't, you know, I thought that maybe when they would associate it more with the Warner streaming service, that that would give those shows a firmer leg to stand on. But maybe it also gives me hope because now maybe DC has a lot of things planned for it. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in san diego uh you know they're they're really focusing on the dc universe there so maybe there'll be a lot of uh, cool announcements as far as new content and things like that we'll see and i just hope that it's not too expensive because man these streaming services between that one and you know the, the, the disney one that's going to be a lot more money i'm going to have to shell out for streaming services because i'm going to want them both i know that so both my kidneys are on eBay, Brad. I know where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's another that's another concern of mine. But uh, Seth, what do you think? I certainly hope that there will be, you know, that this is all part of a plan. That they're making these announcements as we're getting closer to uh, San Diego Comic Con. That will then lead to announcements there. That will sort of bolster the services, the projects coming out of DC Universe and maybe answer some of the questions about how the balance is going to be provided between these two groups. Because HBO Max, through its uh, promo video, is pointing out that they will be showing a lot of different, what we thought were DC titles, uh, whether it was that clip of Wonder Woman, uh, the reference to Doom Patrol, uh, or the fact that the DC logo uh, was so prominently featured. The challenge, I think, is telling us how it's going to be done and making sure that it's done in a way that we're not scratching our heads going, so wait, wait, which do I choose? And I think as long as they figure out a way to present that to us, we're going to be okay. But for the moment, I still have a lot of questions. And while the answers sound good, they they haven't actually provided a complete answer. It's been more, 
don't worry, this isn't going to happen. To which I say, yeah, you're telling me this isn't going to happen, but I want to know about the 15 other things that, you know, are around that one. And you're not telling me those either. So there's a little bit of uncertainty still for me, even though I appreciate the the, the notes of reassurance and the announcements that th this is all going to be a, a budding partnership that's going to work the best for both. Um, until I see it, it's still going to be a, a challenge to understand what's actually happening. And I, I guess I need more data. Data. Just give me some data. Kelly, how about you? I, I'm very conflicted on this because on one hand, I have so much faith in the DC universe, uh, which, which I did not have when it started. I kind of almost bought into it because there was a part of me that was like, I love DC so much and this is not going to go well, but they're going to need the money. And it's, But then it turned into this great thing where there's really good content and really good shows and all of the extras are really paying off for the people who have it. And then, you know, the, what they included for... San Diego all sounded so cool that now I really wish I was going to San Diego. I, on one hand, I'm very supportive of that, but on the other, it's, you know, like you guys were saying with these streaming apps, it turned into, you know, I had Netflix and then I splurged and got Hulu. And now it's like, all right, so I got Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, DC, gonna need this one, gonna need, like, this is starting to get a little bit insane, where there is a small part of me that's like, was it cheaper back when people just watched cable? Because that's, this was the alternative for me. So I, I have my serious concerns as far as these, you know, streaming apps branching out going forward. But as of right now, as long as we can keep getting good DC content, I will, I, I can swing a little bit more a month, maybe. Yeah, that that's the thing. There's so many now, but the way I'm seeing it, and I think we talked about this a few weeks back, they they were thinking about 15 bucks for the HBO Max service. Um, so the way I'm seeing it is, especially like you said, Seth, with the trailer, there's lots of DC content in that trailer. It seems to me like HBO Max is going to be the ultimate Warner experience, Warner movies, Warner TV shows, uh, HBO, the full works for the people who want to pay the 15 bucks a month. But then if you just want DC content, hey, stick with that and pay your 10 bucks a month for DC Universe. That That's the kind of feeling that I'm getting from this. But like you said, San Diego's around the corner. That's when we're going to get the full 411. But if that's the way they want to do it, I have HBO Max as the premium service and uh, DC Universe for the people who are quite happy with that, then I think that could work. And all we need is to have it in every other country other than the U.S. Please, please. <laughs> well, maybe that's um, maybe that's a way to get over to other countries. Yeah. If they offer, you know, that would seem like a perfect avenue. If they offered the Warner service in other countries, why not include the DC content for them as well? There you go. There you go. That, that's the way I'm seeing it. I mean, do, do, you, do you guys see it that way? I mean, because the trailer, like you said, Seth, a lot of DC stuff on there. I I actually wondered, like Brad did, and I was going to bring it up as well, if this might be a way to bridge the content to international audiences. I was curious, Steve, do you know, are there any sort of, I guess, of these brands that we're talking about, whether it's HBO or any other um, groups that offer services to international audiences where they international audience can access HBO content or other content if they had the HBO Go app or, or something like that. Um, you that's, know, because I know when I travel, thing. it's really difficult mm. for me to access a lot of these apps, but I don't know how it might be if you're a resident in a certain country, if, if any of these products have been something you can access. It's all down to copyrights. Um, the major consensus around the 
uh, comic book and, and, and nerd community in the UK is that we're very doubtful we'll ever get the DC Universe app because um, Sky in the UK and throughout a lot of Europe, in fact, has all the rights to virtually everything Warner TV based. And that includes all of the Arrowverse shows, all of the Christopher Nolan movies, basically all the Batman and Superman movies that ever aired. So it's it's going to be tough to get the rights back from Sky because they are huge. Yeah. Not only that, but um, HBO is available through most of the um, TV uh, satellite and cable providers in the UK. Mainly, again, Sky. We get uh, Game of Thrones, or sorry, we used to get Game of Thrones while it's still aired, literally um, the same time it aired in the US. So we'd hmm. stay up and watch it at stupid o'clock in the morning so we didn't get spoiled on the Twitterverse um, for every episode. <laughs> um, so it, it seems that the HBO Max is going to be the way forward because that is a Warner, fully a Warner service. So okay. if that launches, we may have to spend the extra five bucks and get the full service. But it means if that means we can watch all the fantastic content that Kelly, like, quite rightly said that DC Universe are offering, then I'll quite happily drop one or two other services um, because everything that DC Universe has aired, everything, Teen Titans, Young Justice Outsiders, the awesome Doom Patrol, the fantastic Swamp Thing, it needs to be seen because I honestly think if DC Universe had launched worldwide, if everyone had access to it, maybe something wouldn't even have been cancelled because you'd have millions more subscribers paying their 10 bucks a month, guaranteeing the sales. The DC Warner aren't reading themselves any favours by not having it in more countries, but maybe HBO Max is the way forward. I'm going to mm-hmm. take that as a positive, I think. Yeah, because it actually just reminds me, too, that, you know, I think, Brad, were you the one telling me about American Gods? Uh, And maybe I was talking with you and Kelly about that. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like we're having that. Well, I decided to go ahead and check it out, and I just wanted to see what my services option offered. And I don't have stars through the Ultimate Hulu package that I got for most of our channels. Uh, It's not on Netflix. And then I checked uh, Prime, and you had to buy it. Now, here's the weird yeah. thing. Here's the silly part. We did get HBO Go because we there was something going on and we decided to get it. I think my wife, uh, Big Little Liars, I think it's called. Little Big mm-hmm. Liars, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I just got a weird bug in my brain and went into the HBO Go app and searched for American Gods. And of all things, because I guess there's some sort of relationship with stars, I got the first season. In fact, I think oh, I have the first two seasons. And yeah, I sort of went to my. So then you'd be caught up. I bought it yeah. on Prime. I'm so upset now. I have HBO Go. Because <laughs> weirdly, it let Jeez. me in. Yeah, and I thought it was weird because I I started watching the episode and it didn't try and bill me or tell me you couldn't watch it. And I was like, how did I do this? Because when I went Don't to Hulu, it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I went to Hulu, it said, oh, you can watch this if you get the Stars add-on package. And I'm like, hold on, I want to see if I can get it through what I've got. So. Uh, maybe that's another way that HBO could be that sort of bridge for the DC universe uh, and DC properties for international audiences who who say, hey, DC universe isn't going to be available to me yet. However, 
I can get access to them through this portal through HBO. That's pretty interesting, uh, Steve. I appreciate you, you know, bringing us that perspective because that was something I wondered. Like, would this give them access to someone wanting to see it overseas? And if it would, then yeah. offering DC titles through Warner just seems like a really smart way to do it, right? That's the only way around the whole copyright issue because if it's a Warner channel, not just a DC channel, Warner are the parent company and they probably have to pay a fairly hefty licensing fee to sky for for the rights to show their own movies and stuff but they are their movies um we may have the trade-off of losing possibly the comic book content which would really hurt me because that's something i'm dying to see but if we can get these shows to a wider audience um it's it's just a plus so fingers crossed all the legalities will sort themselves out and maybe we'll get hbo max or fingers crossed we maybe even get the DC universe, but <laughs> you never know. You never know. But uh, and, and this is another an, another one that just puts a smile on my face. Um, San Diego Comic Con. We've talked about it. Um, oh, I wish I was there. They're going to be launching brand new exclusive comics at the San Diego Comic Con to anyone who signs up to DC Universe for a year. And these books just look gorgeous. I would I would practically donate my left arm for that dc comics 1000 jim lee cover and that uh something 21 the first uh the, the, the anatomy lesson that the, the comic that changed it all with a tv something cover i mean i want those comics i'm going to petition all our guys who are going to stc for, for these comics i want them uh brad dude something 21 <laughs> Yeah, oh. that's that's the one that got me. I was like, oh yeah, I I, I love that cover. Uh, and I think I brought this up last week. We were talking about uh, these exclusives that they did the same thing last year at New York, right when DC Universe was launching. And uh, I they had a Titans issue like this that they released, although it wasn't this cool. I gotta say, I really. I really dig this. And I really think that this is going to bring people in to actually subscribe. I think that, oh, yeah. uh, especially for comic collectors, I think this is a pretty genius, genius way of marketing. I think they'll definitely get some some subscribers out of this for sure. Seth, what do you think? Absolutely gorgeous art. First thing that came you know, to mind, first thing I, I knew I wanted to spit out when you guys asked me my thoughts. Uh, just really beautiful work. Uh, you know, the, the Swamp Thing cover you're talking about, uh, it, it's really just... Yeah, immaculate. The Jim Lee cover, just kind of a perfect grittiness. And I, I could just sort of go ahead and gush over the rest. It's it's easy to do. Um, but it is a really smart move to add a value that maybe would have kept people from signing up originally. But by adding this value, by letting comic collectors sort of have an additional buy-in, like, hey, man, there's already stuff on here you want. You're just looking for that extra reason to say yes. Here it is. And it's right there in front of you. Question is, do you want it? And if you're a collector, if anything about great art or having one of these issues in your hands with a cover that you can only get at this one-time experience, it's going to have a pull that I think for a lot of people is going to be that difference maker. And then I really do think that once you get them inside and you let them see just how much is available, they're going to tell a friend. And that's all you really want. I mean, that's what I think. Kelly, what do you think? This is such a fantastic idea. I mean, I I know personally, I dropped so much money at conventions on stuff that I would never normally buy. So if I saw 
you know, especially like you guys are saying that Swamp Thing cover or, you know, or any of the other ones. And it was just, oh, you just have to buy the subscription. I would absolutely do it for all of the extra content and all the extra, you know, kind of goodies they're giving out for that. I would absolutely do it. And personally, I have an entire wall in my house that my roommate and I have decorated with just comic book covers. And we've nice. been changing them out a lot. It's amazing. It's, it is probably my favorite part about the apartment, but it's like right when you walk in. So everyone who comes in who doesn't like comic books is like, what is this? But <laughs> regardless, yeah, I want all of those. Don't like comic books? What? No. There, there are people. I have people who come over and they're like, wow, this is interesting. But... <laughs> But I mean, it's I want that cover now. Which actually, do, do we have anyone going to San Diego? Can anyone just kind of scoop like all of them? But in That's any exactly case, what I was <laughs> right? Like, it's, I, I'm going to New York, but I didn't hear anything about New York. <laughs> oh, so, uh, they're going. They they all need to sign up for a year just so I can get one or both of those covers. Um, Damien. <laughs> Are you listening? Joe, um, everyone, Cameron, anyone going to San Diego, sign up for a year and send me the comics. Please. <laughs> Any, anyone over on the West Coast, like, help me. But <laughs> it, it looks amazing. I'm very, very happy that they're promoting it in the way that they are. Um, so you can yeah. walk to San Diego oh. from where you live, right? Yes, yeah, so I, I can. Now, now, here's the one thing I need. I just need a verified bond that when I call you from the jail that I'll be taken to <laughs> after I've been caught breaking in and running amok with two or three large duffel bags on, full on, of on, God on, knows what I was able to get my hands on. Yeah, literally. And just all about, right? So I just need to know that when I dump it off to somebody and it, it might need your help getting that person who can throw it in the storage locker for us and hold it while I'm being processed and awaiting <laughs> bail, that you guys will be the calls that I can be like, hi, yeah, I'm gonna make bail because I got <laughs> Kelly, Steve and Brad backing me up. Guys, we're looking at 30 large. So, you know, all we need to do is come up with three grand and I got be fun. But it's all yours, man. <laughs> Hey, you know, I mean, I'm willing to do this. I'm just saying I know what happens when it goes bad. I need the rest of the team behind me. The Fab Four must be united on this one. So, I yeah. Mean, definitely be united. Definitely. Okay. When they process you, I'll make sure to ask them politely not to use the rubber gloves. Um, you can ask them politely, but just... If hey, they, they can't say no to me. I lost them in a British accent, and they will not be able true. to refuse me. That's true. That is very that true. Is my it, power. it throws us Americans off. We go, oh, okay, <laughs> immediately. Yes, you will leave Seth alone because he's handsome and polite, and oh. I will make the tea. Exactly. Yep. I would immediately be like, all right, it's free to go. <laughs> all with and then if all else fails, we'll offer to buy them a nice pair of jeans and sell all of <laughs> Kelly's war comics and her purse book, and then the world will be united as one in peace, harmony, and love. Well, I would love to see comics go for 30 grand. I'd do it, so. <laughs> I really appreciate that. So worth that. it. Two and comic books, okay 30 grand. Saying, <laughs> yeah, I was going to be okay with just saying, hey, can you just tell them to politely wear gloves? Because, you know, sanitary. <laughs> well, light. whatever yeah, floats your boat, my gloves. brother. Less about float my boat. It was more, I'm, I'm hoping for the least possible. Give me just the bare necessity of human treatment and I'll be okay. 
I get it. I'm in Los Angeles, San Diego, whatever. It's it's SoCal. We, we, we get it. Um, but you know what, Kelly? Thank you for giving me just a little bit of comfort because I remember, you know, I had a shelf on my wall and I had one shelf that I would put up whatever the current storyline was that I was reading. So Death of Superman, uh, Reign of the Superman, The Nightfall, I would have six to eight of those sort of telling that story as I was reading it. And I remember getting hazed by friends that I'd known who had, you know, ah, I gave up on comic books. I'm a grown up now. We're in high school, this and that. And I'd be like, man, these like are grown up stories. in high school, please. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I had I friends like with aspirations. Into it. Like, my roommate, <laughs> well, I mean, he's more into Marvel, which whatever, fine, we can disagree on that. But we, I mean, mutually, the entire apartment is just comic books. So I, I really lucked out there. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it brought back so a really cool memory for me. I suddenly just thought to myself, like, oh, yeah, I remember with my shelf. And I used to, wow, that was fun. What would I do with a wall? Oh, hot diggity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I get one of those cool cover projects where it's like, you know, get the 30 covers and build the giant image. I'd want to do one of those on your wall one time. Just, it'd be a lot of fun. Oh, Seth, talk about <laughs> memories. <laughs> yeah. I, you can, and that's just, that's the main wall. If we were to go to the living room wall, which we've discussed, I mean, that's a whole other thing. You could fit a couple hundred. <laughs> awesome. Steve, we brought up who, a for you, did we? Who remembers cassettes? Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh man, do I? <laughs> In my misspent youth, uh, and I could actually go back and kick myself now for doing this. Oh no, I love this um, story. You told us this one once, yeah. but I'm going to let you tell it again because I, I love it. Go ahead. I used to get my favorite comic covers and slice them up to the width of the spine of a cassette and obviously keep my cassettes in like carry cases to carry around. So obviously when I opened the cassette box... I'd have a comic book cover staring back at me um, where they all joined up like a jigsaw puzzle from all the cassettes together. So, um, <laughs> oh, it was, it was fantastic. Whenever I, cause I, I used to DJ back in the eighties, obviously I used to have some cassettes and records and stuff with me. And whenever I took my tapes, um, everyone else just said, Oh, wow. Look at those. And, uh, whoever said, Oh, you still reading comics nowadays. I can point at those people and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Who's laughing now? Comic book movies, uh, Avengers, ooh, making millions. Right. Own up now, boy. (laughs) I am no longer a nerd. Well, I am, but it's an okay thing. Right. right. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The Bible had a misprint. It's not the meek shall inherit the earth. It is the geek <laughs> shall inherit the earth. Uh, you know, I just almost feel like these days, anybody who says, oh, you're old, you still read comics, they're kind of out of it. They, like, hey, you've not been paying attention to what's been happening in culture for the past. Right. 20, we 20 years now. We're going to say that all the time. And it's like, I, I mean, because when I, when I say I do this after work, they're like, oh, comic books? Like, Oh, okay. And it's, it just, I get the weirdest looks and I'm like, but what are you guys doing after work? This is so much more fun. See, me, this, <laughs> yep. is, this is the beauty of not having a dress code. At my, at my desk. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I go in with uh, my nerd hats, my nerd shirts. Everybody knows 
what I'm into. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, man, I'm I, no shame. I love it. I love this stuff, and I want to proclaim that I love this stuff. So, yeah. And, I use the mugs on my desk. I have okay. Watchmen mugs, Batman. It's If you come to my desk and sit down to talk about something, you know what I'm about. <laughs> I'm geek. I'm proud. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the fun thing for me is those 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 people they're, they're not here. I'm not talking to them. Like any of those who are like, oh man, what are you doing with your life? I wanna say, hey, look at what I'm doing now. Tell me I got it wrong. Wait, okay. go ahead. That's why I can confidently I talk wrong. about falling out of work on here, because I know they're not gonna listen to this and I know they're still going to end up being <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, the truth is most of those people can't read. <laughs> there are moments. There are moments. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> not honestly, there are moments when I actually believe so, that to be true. Yeah. <laughs> Sad but true, but yeah. 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 I just I got us on a whole tangent. I'm sorry, guys. I, I hey, no, that's so it was much a fun. Great uh, hey. <laughs> Tangent, what a great bunch of comics they were. So, oh, man. Take me back. Take me back. Can you start talking tangent? about 90s brands? I can have a great old time with you guys. Like, come on. Defiant, Valiant, let's really get in there. Like, come on. So, uh, let's get back on track. Because we're <laughs> in a major way. Steve, guide us. Guide us. I, I will be the director. So DC have released a trailer for the Shazam documentary last year's last year. Oh my God, what? Oh, I've fallen into my time machine again. So we need to just climb back in and get back to 2019. Right, this year's surprise <laughs> hit Shazam is, is getting a, a brand new documentary. We've seen a little trailer, a very very little trailer. Um, just as it started, and I was getting into it. It ended, but uh, I want to see it all now. Uh, Brad, what do you think about this? Yeah, I want to see it all, too. Uh, One of the things that kind of jumped out to me in the trailer was the fact that they mentioned that there was a time when Shazam was more popular than all the DC characters. And I I never realized that he was that popular of a character back then. So I found that interesting. That was enough to kind of hook me in to want to see the rest, realizing that kind of like I don't know a whole lot about the history of that character beyond all the legal fights about the Captain Marvel name. Oh, what about you, Seth? I can't wait to see the documentary. Um, I want to go ahead and explore all of the different things that, you know, I already know. But more importantly, the details that will make them a little bit more clear. Because one of the things about Shazam that I never understood was what was going on that caused the lawsuit. And then the likeness. And then the, the awareness of the popularity. Um, that was always one of the things that sort of made me chuckle the most about why it is you don't see, you know, Shazam comics for the longest time because of this lawsuit. Why the lawsuit? Because he got too popular. And that just killed me. Like, it was just like, hold on a second. You're telling me that somebody was too good at their job and because of that they got sued and now we don't get to read their comic <laughs> books. And that was something I just, I struggled. The, like That was one of those things where, like, I, I've always loved so many things that came from D.C. that when they do something that's kind of boneheaded, I'm just like, guys, 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 you make it really hard to defend you. You know, it's like uh, I think it was Dave Chappelle once was like, man, I used to love, you know, you know, 
preaching about hip hop when it was about good messages and this and that. He's like, but I'm she really having a hard time defending Cristal or defending Rolls Royce or defending, you know, 30 cars. And it's like, yeah, well, when, when someone does something that's boneheaded, you almost want to stop and go, why'd you go and do that? So I want to understand just how much more about this story has kind of been kept from a lot of the public because it was wrapped up in all the elements of this uh, lawsuit. And also that, that we'll get a chance to just see so much more about this character who's been kept from the spotlight for so long. And now that we've had such great success, there's a desire to understand so much about what I think is a really rich history. And I also sort of love some of the things that I've learned about the early Shazam. <laughs> like, you know, in one of the origins, it was like, this is Shazam. This is a bad guy. This is Shazam beating up a bad guy. End of story. And it was like eight, 12 pages. And it was maybe about as sure as that documentary clip, <laughs> teaser, trailer that we just saw. So all of those things, you know, are, are really kind of an intriguing part about this little trailer. That was my ramble, Kelly. How's yours? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're going to learn so much about Kelly's personal life today, but I, there are <laughs> a handful of comic book documentaries that I would watch on, I wouldn't say a weekly basis, but definitely a bi-weekly basis. And it drives my boyfriend absolutely insane. Because if he leaves for even 10 minutes, that's what's on the TV. And I'm so excited to add this to the group. I love documentaries. And I mean, obviously, I love comic books, or they wouldn't be taking up my entire apartment. So I'm super excited about this. I'm definitely going to watch it as soon as it comes out. And hopefully it just ends up in that kind of shuffle of, you know, documentaries I have playing in the background while I go about my life. And I mean, it's again, this is one of those cases that which, uh, unfortunately, DC has a lot of those backstory documentaries where you learn about something they did or something writers did to each other, and it kind of just gives you pause, and it's a little bit tragic. So it's I, it's going to be another one of those, but then at the same time, I'm also still super excited. I love anything that gives background to the characters we're, you know, interested in and valuing right now. Um, so I'm, I'm pumped. I love documentaries. Outstanding. So... Brad, Seth, Kelly, mm -hmm. are we sitting comfortably? Good. Yes. Then I'll begin. <laughs> Education of the popularity of Captain Shazam Marvel. Um, <laughs> in the 60s in the UK, um, Captain Marvel Shazam was absolutely huge. And I'm, I'm talking um, probably the most popular comic book character outside the british owned ones so popular in fact that when the whole lawsuit happened and dc sued about how much captain marvel looked like superman and the similar powers and everything else and then obviously in later decades the whole marvel thing saying you can't call him captain marvel on the covers because they might think it's a marvel comic him shazam and all that nonsense captain marvel was huge in the uk and when they stopped publication there was actually uproar uh, people were distressed and distraught so much so that a little known uh, british writer and cartoonist called mick anglo had to create a character called marvel man to fill up the gap uh, marvel man who also changed from a kid into a superhero by saying the word kimota was so popular that he became britain's first majorly successful um, wholly created in the UK comic superhero. Years before uh, the Marvel UK invasion of the 70s, Marvel Man was the guy. 
Uh, fast forward to the 80s and a lesser known writer, Alan Moore or something similar, decided to revive Marvel Man in the pages of a magazine called Warrior. And again, because of uh, Marvel's infringement things and you can't call anyone Marvel anything on any cover, the US bought that series and renamed it Miracle. And I'm sure everyone on this podcast knows about Alan Moore's Miracle Man. Yeah, yeah. That started in in the eighties. It was the holy grail of what I wanted to read because I heard so much about it and how it was unavailable. And I was a huge Watchmen fan, and I just really wanted to read it. And it wasn't uh, it wasn't until recently when they did the uh, the republish that I finally got to read the whole thing. So yeah, I absolutely remember that. And that character started initially as a UK version of Captain Marvel. Because we couldn't get the Captain Marvel comics anymore because DC stopped Fawcett making them and took the character over. And then Alan Moore turned the whole concept on his head, destroyed his life and did an Alan Moore on him. And the rest, as they say, is history. So, yeah, (laughs) Captain Marvel was huge. Absolutely huge. Uh, Maybe not so much in the US. I'm not sure uh, of that, but definitely in the UK and Europe. Um, growing up as a kid, the, the comics I'd see more than any others. We'd have one issue um, which collected Batman and Spidey stories, but Captain Marvel had his own had his own comic, um, and that's where McAnglo took over and, and created Marvel Man. So yeah, documentaries, Kelly, I'm with you. Uh, the whole Bill Finger thing that we talked about a few weeks back. This is another one. Oh, I love that one. I cried. I cried that one. Outstanding. So yeah, definitely, 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 definitely one for my watch list. And that was less than a teaser, less than a trailer. That was like grab me by my throat and then drop me. What what are you doing, guys? I need this. (laughs) And speaking of 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 sad news and dropping by the throat, um, this one this one made me sad. Uh, Obviously, uh, Lois and Clark was a a, a big part of uh, British TV when there was very little superhero stuff to watch. And this is a show my wife and I used to watch when we were still boyfriend and girlfriend before we got married. We used to love Lois and Clark and Eddie Jones, who played Pa Kent in that series has passed away. And he, to me, I don't know if you guys agree, but he was literally Pa Kent ripped out of the pages of John Burns, Man of Steel and Superman series. He was awesome. He was just that cuddly, perfect, kindly dad giving out sage advice to superman and this this really has uh, uh upset me and, and made me quite sad um brad what do you think about the, the loss of, of, of eddie jones my friend uh you know it's sad and i have not seen one episode of lois and clark believe it or not it wow yeah, I know. It's crazy. It came out at a time when I wasn't really collecting comics as much. And, you know, and it was always something when I got back into it, like, yeah, I, I want to check that out. And then when the phenomenon of like the whole first, second season DVD releases and things like that, I was always like, man, that's one thing that I've got to check out. And then just other content came out and I just have not gotten around to it yet. So uh, I have heard good things about both him as a person and him as an actor. So it's sad to see him go, but it kind of makes me want to go and check out that show. Now puts it more on my radar. What about you, Seth? I have to agree with uh, Steve that it's, it's just a really sad passing, you know, um, Lois and Clark was that show that for me, modernized Superman for 
uh, a new audience. Up until then, the only thing that we'd seen was the brief Superboy series in the late 80s. Uh, and the Superman movies, which had started out so strong, and then by Superman number four, Quest for Peace had had fallen so far. <laughs> and and the one thing that I loved about Lois and Clark was it brought this modern sort of humor, this idea of like, hey, we talk about things now, little things, silly things, things that might not seem as in, you know important years ago, but now they're things that we focus on, and they're also things that we talk about honestly. And in that, I love that Eddie Jones brought this idea of, well, what's a what's a Pac Kent character going to do in a newer, more modern world when he has a son who's dating, uh, you know, is going to be sort of living a little bit more freely than a Clark Kent we've experienced before. And yet somehow everything that he offered was from that same great homespun heartland place. This very honest Kansas, do right, be good. And he, he kept he kept Clark grounded, which is just such a silly thing to say about, you know, Superman's alter ego. But in doing so, he reminded him about who the, the man he had been raised to be, but also sort of model for others, the type of person that he could be a model for others. And and through that, he was that touchstone, that that great reminder of not only where Clark's strengths came from, but also what his best examples of uh, parental love, but also his example later for when he was establishing a relationship with Lois. And that wasn't something that was easy to accomplish in the 90s, but it it worked. You know, there was so much extreme going on that it was amazing that this sort of heartwarming story could really take hold the way it did. But one of the reasons it did so so well is uh, the ability to, to cast a Pa Kent who felt like the father that Clark Kent would need when things were difficult or when he just needed advice in, in the middle of a challenging time. And Eddie Jones did such a great job of that, that, you know, it, it's always disappointing when great talent is gone too soon. 82 uh, might not seem it, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, he had another 82 left in him. And I would have loved to have seen just how else he could have been a part of the future of the DC universe like we've seen so many characters from past shows seek and become parts of new shows. Kelly, go ahead and take it away. I, I mean, he even looks so much like, um, you know, like the the content we picture in the comic books. And I think we, we talked about this a while ago, but the importance of the parents in any Superman story that's live action actually playing to the idea that they're, you know, asking Kent to be a better person, or asking Clark, wow, asking Kent, they're Kent but asking Clark to be a better person and asking him to consider the world in a way that he might not if he had landed in someone else's cornfield. So I think that, you know, it's it's sad that he's gone. It's sad that someone who gave such depth to the character, because it's one of the things that drove me nuts about the Man of Steel movie and um, Batman vs. Superman is I, I just very much felt like this Clark Kent wasn't raised as, you know, with as, as wholesome of a of an idea as he should have been. And his parents are more of, you know, you don't owe them anything. And it's, but that's the exact opposite of what, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Kent are supposed to do. So for him to have brought that kind of really grounded, old school feeling to the character is fantastic. And it is really sad that he's gone. It's Krypton that makes me super, but it's the earth that makes me a man. Um, and that's what his 
version of Jonathan Kent epitomized and yeah beautiful words Seth I, I love what you said there and that to me is is exactly what I, I got from his interpretation of the character as well and looking back I mean Brad if you do get to see Lois and Clark please please do I mean it, it hasn't aged spectacularly well but there are still some incredible moments. And I, I still think that everyone talks about Michael Rosenbaum. And don't get me wrong, he was an awesome Luther. But Lex Luther in Lois and Clark was, to me, the best thing about it. And the fact, and tell me if you agree, guys, who have seen the show, that to me, Lois and Clark seem to be the template of what the CW shows are now. They weren't just your know, villain of the week, action episode of the week superhero tv like everything else that came before it they brought in that soap opera element and the family dynamic and mom park kent and arguing with lois and 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 just give it a bit more of an ongoing narrative and drama which cw shows of yeah absolutely they they, they, i haven't seen it right i haven't seen that show and that's kind of what i felt about it even having seen it that that was kind of a trailblazer Mm. in a way that it kind of brought you wouldn't have had a small bill like you had it, for instance, if you didn't have oh, no Lois and Clark, things like that, you know. So that's kind of what always made me want to go back and watch it even now. It's worth it. There are yeah. some episodes which you will love, I guarantee it. Uh, there's some which you won't, especially in the later seasons, but it, it, it had a lot going for it. What are you saying, Seth? I was just going to chime in with I love the way that it introduced, you know, so many of those elements that make these shows that came after it work so well. Uh Clark exactly. working on his computer so fast that it starts to smoke. So he has to blow it off with it super isn't. breath to cool it down. Mm-hmm. You know, all these little touches where you think to yourself, hey, hold on a second. If I had superpowers, I would totally do that. But until that moment, you hadn't seen anyone portrayed on screen in, in a way that you thought to yourself, hey, hey, this is how he's not quite Superman. But at the same time, he's got these abilities. And if he can do something other people can't, well, all right, well, what else can he do? And it brought this sort of lighthearted levity to it that I, I agree, Steve, it, it it did create that model for later on when you tell these stories. Remember that in a lot of ways, it's less about the superhero and more about, you know, the guy he is when he's not a superhero and what he's fighting for. And so much of that seemed to be the the fabric and the framework behind Lois and Clark. It really established the idea that, you know, the reason that Superman needed to exist was the people around him, whether it was, you know, the relationship to Lois, the relationship to the people at work um, and all the different parts of their lives that were important to them. That that's what he was fighting for. And it really did a great job of establishing that. And, that was something that these CW shows and Smallville before them were able to build on. You know, they, they had that recipe that they could draw from and say it worked. You know, maybe it fell off later on and it didn't have as strong of, you know, a season as it did that first one. But early on, the things that it was doing so well, it was just it, it was smart. It just said, just show people what's possible. And at the same time, remind them what's important. Show them what's possible. Remind them what's important. Come on now. Where's where, where, where's the wrong in this? It's, it's a perfect recipe. It's in the title. It's Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. It wasn't the new adventures of Superman. And up until that point, uh, even with Christopher Reeve, Clark Kent was almost an afterthought. It was all about Superman. But to me, what I love about the character of Superman is that human side, his family, his, his upbringing, the way he was raised in, in the most 
normal and domestic of settings on a farm in the American Midwest. And that's what made him a man. And Lois and Clark did that first. They really did make Clark Kent his own character, not just a bumbling, goofy uh, metropolitan newspaper reporter. He was actually a pretty cool, cool guy in his own right, the same way that John Byrne wrote him in, in his comics. And that led the way forward to, like you said, Smallville and, and the entire Arrowverse as we know it owes a huge debt of gratitude to uh, Lois and Clark. So it's, it's a sad, sad time. Definitely. And all that John really Byrne talk really makes me want to go read that series again because I, I back in, I loved that series back when it came out. I go dig that out again somewhere <laughs> somehow. <laughs> that series is permanently. Yeah, Batman Year One, Man of Steel, Watchmen, Sandman, Swamp Thing. They are permanently in my office on a shelf so I can grab them yeah, nice, at a moment's nice. notice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Kingdom Come. They're all there. Literally, I could literally go into my office right now, pull it out, and send you a, a, a photograph of it from my phone camera right this second. So <laughs> they need yeah. to make purse book sizes. Oh, you genius! Oh yeah. Right, like purse well book said. size Kingdom yeah. Come is it might no, it wouldn't replace Swamp Thing. I'd end up with two purse books, but still. <laughs> I've called my purse book size the uh, Untold Legend of the Batman. We need a. Kingdom Come, Year One, and Man of Steel for reals. We need Someone's this in our now, just for <laughs> just for fun, isn't it on DC Universe app? Couldn't you just pick it up on there and throw it in your iPad and throw that in your purse? No. True, <laughs> but that doesn't just tell people that I'm ready to leave the bar. That's that's the problem. No. No, <laughs> the no, phone is normal, but the purpose. book is yeah. The book is so like I, I mean business. I'm I'm up to something. Mr. Seth Singleton, yeah, the, yeah. virtual slap headed your way. I don't have DC Universe. <laughs> that was for Brad. That was just for Brad because he wanted to pick up the John Byrne thing again. Yeah. And also yeah. to throw in a little extra plug for DC Universe, just in case there is a need to, you know, keep the subscribers subscribing. Um, <laughs> but also because... We have to remember that if if anyone's of a certain younger age, that might be their only way of connecting. You know what I mean? Like that that could be their 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 way in. So just wanted to throw that option available to them too, because maybe they like the digital so much they'll get the you know the actual physical copy too. Just maybe, just maybe. In the meantime, Steve, I love you. You're lucky, I love you. Seriously, I I know. You're lucky, I I love you, because because rubbing the salt in the wound of not having the DC Universe app. Naughty, very uh, naughty. Yeah, sometimes I play dirty, but you know I appreciate you loving me back. <laughs> I love all of you guys, and uh, we all love the ads. Don't you just love the ads? I actually fast forward all the ads, but don't fast forward this one because it's an important ad, and we need the ad. We'll be right back. Yeah, ads. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week. DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode 
to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. Hello, and we're back for the 33rd episode of the wonderful DC Universe podcast. We've talked movies, TV and streaming, and now we go back to where it all started, the Stone Age. No, no, uh, comic books. And first of all, very interesting one for me, especially being as old as I am, uh, the Joker and the Question are getting their own black label miniseries with creators that make my heart leap with joy and take me back to my personal golden age of the late 80s and early 90s. Brad, you've got to be excited at least by the question series and who's uh, who's drawing yeah. it, right? Oh man, oh man, yes. Uh, you know, it's funny because I was thinking back on you know on the podcast that we did when we we mentioned like characters we'd like to see have their black label book and i think yes, the question did. and i think the question was one of those ones that we thought oh yeah oh yes very cool so the fact that that's a reality maybe somebody's listening um but uh, yeah I, I can't wait i have such a voracious appetite i'm telling you uh, i every time they re- they announce the a new black label book i'm like got to read it got to read it got to read it got to read it can't wait can't wait so i and feel I, yeah, and that's the same way with these books. Yeah, I can't wait. And I, I'm a big fan of Jeff Lemire's work. So the fact that he's going to be doing a Joker miniseries I, for the Black Label, yeah, I just, I'm absolutely excited. What about you, Seth? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hell um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah. Uh, it started out with uh, Jeff Lemire, Jeff Lemire, Jeff. Yeah, I'm. I'm Jeff and Joker. Okay, right. just Jeff and Joker. I'm good. I'm good. Go ahead and give me your best miniseries. Make it black label. You know, play, go crazy, have fun. But really, what 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 sung to me in this one was finally give me give me a question story. Give me a question story I can just sink my teeth into. And watching what he can do with that, watching what this combination, uh, you know, just this great looking team. And also just this great concept, you know, the deaths of Vic Sage. There's been so many versions of him. And yet, how did they all come to be? What's what's sort of the the sort of pieces of this mystery we can unwrap a little bit and dig into? Um, And also just, man, how long has it taken for us to see more of this character? And finally getting the chance to see what we can, you know, sort of experience with the Black Label perspective and maybe just know that up until now, 
for whatever reason, his story couldn't be told. Now it can. Please run with it. Please take us to all the best places with it. Please create something that allows us to get even more. Make those sales so great that there's more question because that's a character that every time uh, he or she appears, uh, whether it's been, you know, the Vic Sage or, uh, oh goodness, I just blanked on her name. But yeah. Yeah, thank you, yeah. you for Miss yeah. Renee Montoya. Yeah, uh, it's it's been amazing. And I mean, bring them both back together at some point, because I love the dynamic when they were together. Uh, Kelly, stop me from rambling or more importantly, take over and say something a little more rational and reasonable. <laughs> that was rambling. And it was fun. I'll just ramble differently. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm so excited. It looks like it's going to be fantastic. Um, I, the creative team is unbelievable, and I am such a huge fan of the question. And I only know him through, as a kid, watching him on Justice League Unlimited. I thought he was really weird, but to me, when I was younger, weird was cool. Weird was funny. So <laughs> I, I'm all for that and you know also i actually i noticed dennis cowan is working on this too and i love him as well so i'm uh, across the board this is absolutely something i'm gonna pick up and it's black label seems like they're doing really good i mean i say it seems like they're doing really good things so far they have good creative teams and good ideas and as long as that's at the core of it i think that you know it's, it's a fantastic idea totally 100 percent in agreement with all three of you Brad, I need to hold up a bank or something. So I yeah. want every single GD book that Black Label are announcing. And these two yeah. are added to that list. Seth, what you said, to be or not to be, that is the question. That is the question. Um, <laughs> Kelly, you know, everything you said, Dennis Cowan drawing the question again with Bill Sienkiewicz. Come oh, yes. on, Electra Assassin. Daredevil, oh, uh, I'm just fanboying like Carreze. And then <laughs> a talent like Jeff Mayer writing them. And listen, as soon as I heard the Joker's greatest enemy may not be a Batman, it just may be this psychiatrist, I was thinking, that is the simplest goddamn idea in history. Why has no one done that before? But then isn't that Harley what? Quinn, technically? Well, I mean, well, she was a therapist, kind of. So then is this, like, is this a, a therapist that takes it in a different direction? Is he going to seduce this therapist, too? I, wow, there's a lot of S's in that sentence, but... The way yeah. I'm feeling is that this therapist is going to give Joker what for. And that's something I am actually excited to see, that someone's going to make Joker actually think about himself and what he's doing. If that's the case, I am so invested. And oh. then the add in the question and all his mystery and humor and everything else that goes with it. Oh, yeah, sorry, Kelly, usually, saying, oh, no, they I mean, whatever they do, they they hit the nail on the head with picking concepts that readers not only yes. haven't seen but want to see. So I, there is so much faith in me on that end, definitely. Right. I was thinking that, yeah, I've never seen a story, a Joker story, where the fact that, because usually when he meets with a psychiatrist, that psychiatrist is stepping into his world and they're in way over their heads. The fact that there could be a psychiatrist that can, you know, stand up and actually exactly. manipulate him, that seems like a fascinating fascinating concept you know any psychiatrist in the past that's dealt with a joker is either going to get brainwashed or, or taken over or, or manipulated by him or just going to end up dead yeah. the fact that, that this person is going to be a nemesis to the joker worthy of batman yeah i'm invested i want to read this comic so badly absolutely oh yes 
take all my money. Damn you. <laughs> right. But uh, something that won't be taking my money um, is uh, Doomsday Clock or the next two issues of Shazam because, hey, guess what? They've been delayed again. Brad, are you as heartbroken as I am? I am heartbroken because I don't like to wait. But if they have to, you know, fine tune the art or whatever, then it's to me, it's worth the wait. The only my thing with Doomsday Clock is that it's so long between issues that I I have to go in and brush up again on the store before I go. go yep. And that feels like it's losing the momentum. And I don't like that. So. If anything, that news makes me really excited for the time when I can get that nice hardcover collection in my hands and just read it start to finish collected in one book. But, you know, I'll be there. I'll be there with my money when that issue comes out because it's been it's been a lot better than I was expecting it to be. So, uh, you know, I guess we'll just have to deal with it. What about you, Seth? I'm, you know, deep breath, deep sigh. Uh, (laughs) Yep. I, I'm really just in a place where I, I feel like both of them, both titles have set up what should be really fun things, really great developments. I mean, Doomsday Clock is is waiting and pushing back the penultimate. Like, we've only got two more after this, right? Right. And we're pushing these other things back. But also when it comes to Shazam, they were setting up such a great idea with Black Adam and going into the Darklands and and so much potential was available. And it took me this long to remember it while you guys were talking about how hard it is to remember. I'm like, crap, I can't remember what was going on in Doomsday Clock that I really, you know, can think about at the moment. Shazam, I kind of remember this was going on. But the further you push it away, the harder it is to remember. And everything you had to say about momentum, Brad, was spot on. Um, it, it makes the difference, and it's part of what keeps a title moving forward. When it loses that momentum, it loses readers, loses the opportunity to keep going as a successful title. And I really feel like that's a disservice to a Shazam property that should be taking full advantage of you know the interest uh, following the movie. But also with Doomsday Clock, it's been setting up a lot of things that it needs to deliver. It it should have already been prepared to do so. I get that there's page issues and other factors that they're pointing at. And yet at the same time, if you make a promise to people, you keep it. It's just kind of how it works. Kelly, what's your take? I I mean, there is so much of me that is supportive of if the creative team needs the extra time to really put something together, if there's some sort of you know, scheduling conflict, personal life conflict. I understand that, and I would rather them wait than push out something that their heart's not in. But at the same time, like you guys were saying, the momentum of the story can be lost, and you can, it, it'll fall off of the, the normal pull list for readers that just go into the score weekly and pick up what they're used to reading. Um, so that, you know, that can be a really big problem, but if they need the extra time and that's how we're going to get the best story, then I will kind of begrudgingly support it. Yeah. Uh, echoing what all three of you said but it's just uh, disappointing because they're both series that I've really been digging and they're both written by Jeff Johns so there's a little bit of concern there because he used to deliver a monthly title bang on time every month back in the day is he actually just got too much on his plate is he juggling too many responsibilities outside of the comics world um is he not well I mean, they're all things that pop into my head because I'm a crazy person and, and yeah. I, I worry about my favorite comics creators. Yeah, um, he's but definitely I just, a busy man. Yeah, without a doubt. And and they're both two opposite ends of the spectrum. Shazam is literally one of the most fun comics out there right now. And the whole uh, 
multiple different universes and kids world and games world and everything else has just been brilliant and that cliffhanger Seth like you said with Black Adam I want to read that so much and then you've got the whole deep drama multiverse smashing Justice Society returning Watchmen crossovering Doomsday Clock and he's pushed back and pushed back and pushed back with just two issues left oh and I'm wearing out, like I said, Brad, that because you forget what's happened, I'm just reading issues one to ten over and over and over and mm. over uh, whenever a new issue comes out. So hardbacks, please, collect editions, please, ASAP, please, because my uh, single issues are going to fall apart. Um, it's just, um, I, I get it. Like you said, Kelly, these guys need time to do what they're doing. But why is it mainly Jeff Johns's books? Um, maybe the guy does need a rest. Um, I'll miss him if he does need a break, but because he's produces some fantastic work. But uh, the fans have been patient, incredibly so, and we just want to read the comics we're learning down our hard earned bucks for. So, yeah, I, 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 I kind of hope he's in a position where he's not too overstressed, but he's packed like, look, mm. I'm busy, but I want to make sure I put out the best product possible. So exactly. rather than like Kelly was saying, rather than rush it out. I'd rather take my time and get it perfect and get it out later and still be able to manage all this other stuff that I'm working on producing and whatever. So I'm kind of hoping that that's the case and it's not anything deeper than that. Yeah, I mean, because before I thought it was maybe Gary Frank's art because every issue oh, is just is amazing in that. Oh my God. stunning yeah, and, and right. maybe he needed more yeah. time. But it's starting to feel to me it, it may be more a Jeff Johns issue than a Gary Frank issue. But I don't know. Whatever the case, I'm going to pick up the books. I'm going to buy them. I'm going to read them. So I uh, just hopefully sooner rather than later, I guess. Right, so more positive comic book news, and I'm sure that Brad's going to jump for joy at this one because um, he feels the same way about this character and this universe as I do. Mr. Constantine, the Hellblazer, is getting his own book again, and it's going to be part of where he came from, the Swamp Thing Sandman universe, and it's going to be an ongoing, not a limited series. I am so happy. Brad, take it away. You know, as much as I love the... The newer Constantine stories, uh, you know, that were kind of more in the DC universe proper, the rebirth and the, you know, and those issues were good. But man, I miss that Vertigo series and the fact that it's Sandman universe, but it's also an adult, more oriented comic. So I kind of love seeing him coming back into that space. That's kind of where he belongs in a way. And I think it's kind of like Welcome Home. Uh, can't wait. You know, I'm, I'm excited. What about you, Seth? Definitely excited. Um, two things. One, I've really enjoyed what I've seen from uh, Sandman Universe. You name the title. And when I've read it, I've thought to myself, this is really smart. Really just really the kind of thing that allows you to think and to sink into it. You know, it reminds you of, of reading a great book, good literature, where the images are great, but you're really trying to understand what the story is that makes them so much more heart pounding, I guess is the word that comes to mind. One of the stories I read more recently, uh, it, it gave me that sense where I thought to myself, this is good. This is just really, really good. And thank you to the bird who chimed in and agreed with me. I, I heard that in the background, and clearly I've got support coming. That from wasn't the bird. That was my brain you. rebooting. Oh, hold on. Because that bird was definitely telling me I was right on track. Keep it going. Keep on trucking, Seth. Um, I, I also love some of these concepts that are coming out about this story. One, 
the idea that it's years later and that there's a new young magician, which I think is a really fun concept because normally Constantine's kind of the young roustabout, you know, the one who's sort of like, ah, I don't listen to rules. I've been playing my own game and compared to the rest of you, I'm still living, you know, and he's just got that, that fire to him. So the idea of him dealing with the younger magician who I think is going to be a little bit of a, a challenge to him. And because of that, could really bring out some different sides that we haven't had a chance to, you know, experience yet through this character. Maybe show us just how much more about his story we can learn. And also, just the idea that from what I've seen from Sandman Universe, they, they have the opportunity to use all of that sort of freedom that it gives them. And if it can't come back to Vertigo, I think Sandman Universe is a great place for Constantine to call home. Um what did you think, Kelly? I mean, if there is, there's still, there's so much of me that's still very upset about the loss or not loss, the, well, yes, the loss of Vertigo. Um, but that being said, the fact that these books still seem to be getting made and still seem to be able to reach the readers that are, you know, excited about, you know, obviously the Sandman universe and the fact that John Constantine and Swamp Thing and all of that is still going to remain prevalent and kind of its own Oh, not necessarily separate line, but separate, um, you know, sort of consciousness. I I enjoy. I'm okay with it, but still on a personal level, I'm just I'm upset about Vertigo. I'm still kind of wary of where these books are going to go in the future. I'm wary of it getting tied into some sort of a bigger universe or, you know, because it's starting out as the Sandman universe. But three years down the line, are we going to see something crazy where all of this gets negated and it all gets absorbed into, especially since they're doing the Doomsday Clock and we're kind of seeing how that can affect the full universes. There's a part of me that's worried that it might negate some of the good storytelling we're going to see in the upcoming months. You know, and with with Vertigo, that wasn't as much of an issue. It was, you kind of assumed that no matter what, Vertigo is going to stay its own thing, and those books were their own little self-sustaining world. So there is a part of me that's nervous, but at this point in time, it still looks amazing. It still looks like something I'm going to pick up. Yeah, the hive mind is definitely in full force again this week. Uh, echoing each and every one of you it's it's powerful it's so powerful brad uh last week or the week before while i was away and yes i listen to the show even when i'm not on it and, and you guys just make me smile every single week you said that the sandman is one of the greatest pieces of literature of the 20th century hell to the yes it is uh I, I, people obviously still talk about um things that that, that came from it like um fables and stuff and, and while i enjoyed fables sandman did it first the whole thing of stories coming to life and the library of dreams which is full of books that were never completed or never written in the first place it just is this the imaginations of the writers uh that whole thing and um like kelly said the, the the loss of vertigo but the fact that yes we're going to be losing vertigo but it seems like the sandman universe is continuing that to me already is something to celebrate and then if you add to the case that John Constantine's coming back to the universe he came from, because yes, he was created as a, as a character in Swamp Thing by Alan Moore first. He was a big part of uh, the Vertigo universe and Sandman in the early issues um, where John Constantine is wandering around London and everywhere he goes, he hears uh, Mr. Sandman bring me a dream and sweet dreams are made of this. And he, he utters that, classic line um do you ever have one of those days where 
something's trying to tell you someone and that's just brilliant and to have him back in that darker less comic booky universe that world of magic and myth and dark sorcery and then throwing Tim Hunter, another fantastic Neil Gaiman creation in the books of magic, and have them at odds with each other, the young upstart Harry Potter type wizard. And yes, Tim Hunter came before Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling <laughs> says she's never read the books of magic, but sure, hmm, really? Okay. <laughs> Messy hair, round glasses. I believe you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, and everything else. So having Tim Hunter and the old grizzled, war-torn, battle-scarred John Constantine together at odds, yes, sign me the hell up. And you know, that's I just want to, what I have to say about that. <laughs> I just have to say that one of the reasons why I initially resisted the Harry Potter craze was the fact that I thought that he was just a Tim Hunter ripoff. Oh, how the times have changed. There you go. And and I always did enjoy his interactions with Constantine in the comics oh, as yes. well. So that's gonna be that's oh, gonna be yes. fun to see, like you were saying, see them back together again. Here, here. Absolutely. That that that's one that's gonna keep me very, very happy. And and sticking with the darker side of the DC universe again, and, and this is news that again I couldn't believe when I first read it. Um, one of my idols, one of my all-time heroes, John Carpenter, oh, the yes, man yes. behind Big Trouble in Little China, The Thing, uh, Escape from New York. This dude is going to be writing a Joker story. Pinch me, am I dreaming? Brad, thoughts? Oh, yes, I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, it, it's it's kind of fun to watch his career lately because he you know he's pulled back from directing he produced halloween but he's also been really focusing on music a lot he's been doing a lot of concerts from his film music and the fact that he's branching off into this joker story i i can't wait i i kind of hope it's black label um i think that would be incredible you know even though there seems to be a lot of black label joker stories on the way but uh, I would like to see him be able to really go crazy in this story. So, yeah, I can't, I can't wait. What about you, Seth? He's such a gift, such a gifted talent. Like, there's always that feeling when someone's moving into uh, another medium of storytelling that either they've been thinking about it for a while or it's something that's brand new. But that either way that that approach that they're going to bring is going to be not only is it going to be something that you think you're expecting but it's also going to be something that's going to sort of change the way not only that you look at the person telling the story but the character they're telling it about and i feel like with the joker you're blending this amazing mixture of a character who's been horrifying when in the hands of so many other writers that you think to yourself Oh, okay. Now we've got a, a person whose bread and butter is horror. What are they going to do with a character who can terrify you just by smiling, right? Um, so I, I think there's just so much promise involved that you want to step back and, and consider that. And I like the fact that you added in the information, Brad, about how he's moved into uh, music and other forms of storytelling, because I really feel like that could be a big part of this Joker book. So uh, I, I'm really intrigued by this idea. It just feels like you're giving someone who's already proven their strengths in a genre the opportunity to tell a story in another medium. 
Um, and it reminds me of when uh, I remember I was first told that Joss Whedon had gotten into comics and he had done, I think it was called uh, Frey. And I was really intrigued. And I love that there was a Ford that mentions this whole idea where basically another comic book writer was like, yeah, it's Joss Whedon. Yeah, he's never done comics. And yeah, it's going to be awesome. Wow, isn't that just such a pain in the neck when somebody who's good in something else comes to your neck of the woods and is good there too? And I just kind of had that same feeling that what Carpenter is going to bring over is going to be, you know, so much of his strengths, but what he'll do in comics will will make you wonder yourself. So why wasn't he doing this before? And is he going to do another one? Kelly, what's your thoughts? I, I mean, my hope is that a creative person is a creative person, a, a solid writer in any medium and it can be really difficult to navigate the challenges between if you've done one thing for so long how do you tell a similarly you know high quality story in a medium that you're not familiar with but in the same way I, I there's a little bit of me that wants to be skeptical about um you know like Brad was saying how many Joker titles seem to be coming out right now but every single one sounds so expertly crafted and has such a good team behind it that I there's there's nothing in me that's like, wow, this is going to get, you know, kind of cheaper. It's trying to straddle on to the fact that the Joker movie is coming out. It all just sounds like creative teams that are passionate about this and have really good ideas and a really strong background. So I have absolute faith in this title. I have absolute faith in John Carpenter, because if we look back at everything he's done over the years, um, I don't know if there's a, a more qualified writer-director in cinema history uh, to be given free reign in the comic book universe and while I agree that there's a lot of Joker material coming out and like you said uh, Brad a lot of it on on Black Label this issue is actually going to be part of the ongoing DC canon it's going to be part of the whole year of the villain thing and Lex Luthor offering his uh, mysterious offer to the Joker and Joker saying well who the hell are you to offer me anything uh, you might be uh, the bad wolf in in metropolis but i am the clown prince of crime you you can't offer me anything hell i should be offering you stuff you should be working for me lucky boy uh, and that to me is even more fascinating the fact that john carpenter is going to be writing a dc book set in the mainstream mainstream dc universe is blowing my tiny little mind and i am excited as hell because i'm enjoying event leviathan i'm enjoying the year of the villain i've, I've missed these big crazy fun crossovers which seem to have come back in a big way since dark knight's metal and this is the kind of comic i grew up reading and dc just do it better than some other marvelous comic companies where they don't force you to buy every single title that they produce to read this crossover they tell you which titles is going to time with and you can actually just read the main miniseries by itself too and it'll still make perfect sense and that's the kind of crossover i want to be as involved or as deep as you want it to be and to bring in a talent like john carpenter yeah brilliant marketing brilliant idea brilliant writer director talented man like you said seth he can do no wrong in my book i am going to be picking up multiple copies of this one because i think i'll be reading the ever loving bejesus out of it so that's all i have to say about that Anyone else want to throw in anything about the John Carpenter story? Yeah, I think you covered it. Uh, I think the only thing left is it ties in nicely to the uh, Joe Hill story that Brad and I were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Wasn't it Hill yeah. who said that the thing was the the best horror movie he'd ever seen or the scariest? I can't remember exactly, but 
you know, that's yeah, pretty nice. good property oh, for the Seth, son of Stephen right. King. Yeah. Listen, guys, the memory comes back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you guys been watching Swamp Thing on DC Universe? Oh, yes. How much does episode one yeah. of Swamp Thing owe to the thing? Yeah. yeah. So Visually. much. Visually. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Years, decades later, uh, this man's work still, uh, and they've remade the thing since then. And sorry, um, his version isn't the original. There was a, there was a, an old black and white version of the thing from another world. But John Carpenter's um, is still one of my most watched movies, and it's still a work of genius in my book. And it was made for about two bucks fifty and, and cereal cartons, and it's a work of genius. So, oh yeah, yeah. Um, hands yeah. down. If I mention it to my wife tonight that we were talking about this, she'll be like, "So you want to watch it?" Yeah, because <laughs> it's one of those movies where if you've seen it enough oh. times, you're like, "So you want to watch it again?" Because I could. Right yep. Let's go. Exactly. exactly. Come on, what are you waiting for? Yep. <laughs> Our minds are as one, my friends. And to end this week's yeah. Oof, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Our minds as one. Whew, back. That's yeah. a You're in deep trouble, mate. The Borg. Ha! I pity the Borg. Um Surrender or die. Resistance is futile. Exactly. So uh Away from the darker side, we're going to end our comic book news with some happy, happy, joy, joy news. And uh, the Legion of Superheroes Millennium two-issue series, which is going to lead into the ongoing and lots of news. We're going to have Booster Gold and Tommy tomorrow. Uh, Ryan Sook's uh, updated costume designs, which are fantastic. And that cover, Superboy with a Legion flight ring headed towards him. He doesn't need it for flight, but he needs it for membership. Um, all greatly exciting stuff. Doesn't matter which century it's based in. I'm going to read them. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I I get more excited about this kind of more I hear about it. Um, but, you know, I, I'm really kind of excited for this Millennium uh, series that, that uh, Bendis is doing. I like the idea of bringing these characters from the DC universe that are, you know, deal with time travel, you know, how they kind of all interact with what's coming in, uh, in Legion. I'm kind of, uh, kind of excited to see what he has in store. And the character designs, man, I really like them. They're modern, but still classic. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I, that's one of the things that kind of draws me in is these characters design too. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. Seth? So many good things. Which one to focus on? One, the Superboy cover is just, it's just really, ah, it's really uplifting. That's probably the best word. You know, there's just a lot of promise in the idea of the ring, the perspective of looking through it, the look on his face, which is just, you know, that, that pure joy thing that I remember uh, they use in that, that line from Jerry Maguire where the kid hits a great home run and he's like, see that look? Pure joy. Right there. Doesn't cost a cent. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I felt that feeling when you're looking at Superboy, looking at that ring. It's almost like the brass ring. It's just like, reach your hand out. All the opportunity, all the promise is right there. That's a really great way to, to start off, you know, this series. This Millennium project that's going to be... Uh, kind of kickstarting everything and then the legion stories that are going to follow i i love that booster and tomorrow man are included i really like the character redesigns i'll be honest uh, you know the dream girl one was a bit much it just seemed yeah 
It just seemed like Odd. Well, yeah, it just all right, I'm just going to say this. It, it gave me flashbacks to the trouble with Power Girl. Like I just felt like there was an attempt to uh overstylize, <laughs> oversexualize, over curvaturize. <laughs> And I, I feel that with Dream Girl. Like I'm looking at the rest of them going cool, classy. Okay, not the biggest fan of Lightning Lad's hair because I feel like it's just gonna make him seem like more of a jerk. Maybe that's perfect in that way. Um, but you know, block matter eater lad, I, I thought it had one of the biggest character redesigns and, and a few others who are classic like Brainiac and, and others. But yeah, it was just Dream Girl where I was like, come on, guys, you could have avoided a lot of controversy and just been a little classier with just a little more taste. Other than that, um, so many great things that I'm really pleased with. Kelly, how about you? I am. I, I agree with so much of that, especially for starters, that, that cover with Superboy is just, it's going to end up on my wall, essentially. But Hell it's, yeah. <laughs> it Hang on, do you have a wall with comic covers? <laughs> yeah, no, did I tell you about that? <laughs> it's, I'm... I'm very excited, and I feel like I was too skeptical about this starting out. And then actually looking at the character designs, I I, I agree, Seth. Um, you know that that Dream Girl is a little. I mean, she could use some clothes. I would say. I I would definitely maybe put a nice pair of pants on her. Hey! <laughs> or even all kinds of little dreamier, right? Yeah, right. Like a little more translucent, and but what it's. But actually, I nice pair of jeans. right give her give her a nice pair of slacks. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I'm really excited about is um, Dawnstar. I feel like I haven't seen in so long, and I'm a huge fan of Native American superheroes or Native American slash alien whatever. It's she's complicated, but I'm really excited that she's going to be kind of a not necessarily at the forefront, but as one of the main stays in this series. And I, again, it all just looks fantastic. I think I was way too skeptical and way too judgmental initially, but I'm very excited. Yeah, definitely in agreement <laughs> with all of you there. Um, Matarita Lad's always been one of my favorites. I mean, the whole concept of a guy who's invulnerable on the inside and the fact he can eat his way through the hull of a rocket ship or swallow a bomb or something like that. It's just just awesome. But that's a hefty, hefty redesign. Whereas most of the others are quite subtle and just like you said, Brad, just updated and streamlined. And this costume for Superboy is so much better than the one he, he wore when he got back from his travels with his grandfather. Just way, way better. Um, that cover with the ring floating towards him. I think the word we were looking for, Seth, there is just magic. It's just magic. I'm really happy about it. Happy to defer to that and confer. Yeah, absolutely. It it just takes me back to to, to the old Superboy and Legion of Superheroes comics I read as a kid. And that, to me, is how the Legion started. And though Crisis on Infinite Earths did fix a lot of things, it messed up as many as it fixed. And having a Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes again is the way forward it needs to be done and i'm looking forward to it and yeah this whole millennium just two issues to to kick start a whole new ongoing i'm excited i i am excited i'm looking forward to it very very much um while bendis hasn't been setting the world on fire writing wise for me in superman titles his wonder comics line has been superb i'm really enjoying event leviathan and his input into the two 
um, well, his background in poems, he's not writing them, but the, the Lois Slane and Jimmy Olsen first issues have been superb. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking forward to the finally having the Legion of Superheroes back in the in my grubby little mitts and reading their adventures. Looking forward to that indeed. So, unless anyone has anything else to add, I think that's our news for the week. <laughs> I think you Everybody covered it well, my friend. <laughs> Jeans. Oh, yes. And I have to say, you're all right about Dream Girl's costuming. Yes, her name's Dream Girl, but listen, what kind of dreams are you trying to produce out there, people? <laughs> with that costume or lack thereof? Hmm. <laughs> So that's it. So, guys, um, tell the world where we can find your work, your power, your platform, your voice. Brad. Well, you can find me on Twitter, uh, bflicky1, B-F-I-L-I-C-K-Y-1. And you can find my news and reviews on DC Comics News. And that's where you can find me. Seth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can go ahead and find me really simply by typing in my name, Seth Singleton and the word story. After that, choose your favorite platform and let me know how you did or why you picked it or anything else because that's when I have the most fun. Kelly? Uh, you can find me at Twitter at KelGaines, G-A-I-N-E-S-W-R-I-T-E. Um, and I am on DC Comics News as I. you can read my opinions and my editorial ramblings, essentially. And I'm Steve. And I need help, but everyone knew that. And you can find all my writings just by doing a simple Google search for Steve J. Ray, which will give you links to everything I've done for uh, DC Comics News and our sister site, Dark Knight News, which is more Batman based because I kind of like Batman. I don't know if anybody knew that. Uh, (laughs) Just doing a Google search for Fantastic Universes. And I write, review and interview uh, TV actors and comic book creators and lots of reviews, too. And don't forget, of course, as well, that DC Comics News and our sister site, Dark Knight News, and the podcast itself is available everywhere you want to look. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So please head over, subscribe, rate and review, um, because that's how we know whether what we're doing is correct or incorrect, right or wrong, good or bad. And you can follow both the sites on every kind of social media platform the the book of faces the twitterati the gram that's instant the tumbleweeds and the tube of you at dc comics news or at dknews.com or on facebook just go dc comics news or dark night news and please listen to our sister show the spinner rack which is hosted by our very own so solid seth singleton uh, right here on the dc comic news podcast network and as always, guys, what does everyone out there really need to do? Read more comics. Read more comics. The hive mind has spoken. <laughs>